Part three, chapter four of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. The Slippervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. When the Princess Maria came down, Prince Vasily and his son were already in the drawing room, talking with the little princess and Mademoiselle Burine. When she came in with her heavy gait, treading on her heels, the gentleman and Mademoiselle Burine stood up, and the little princess exclaimed, Viola Marie. The Princess Maria saw them all, and saw them distinctly. She saw Prince Vasily's face becoming for an instant serious at the sight of her, instantly resume its smiling expression, and the little princess watching curiously the impression which her entrance would produce upon their guests. She also saw Mademoiselle Burine, with her ribbon and her pretty face, and her eyes more sparkling than usual, fixed on him. But she could not bring herself to see him, and all she could see was something tall, brilliant and magnificent coming toward her as she entered the room. Prince Vasily was the first to greet her, and she kissed the bald forehead, bending over her hand, and answered his question by assuring him that, on the contrary, she remembered him very well. Then Anatole came to her. She could not see him as yet at all. She was only conscious of a soft hand holding hers, while she lightly touched with her lips the white brow adorned with handsome brown hair. When she looked at him, his beauty dazzled her. Anatole, hooking his right thumb behind one button of his uniform, stood with his chest thrust out and his back bent in, resting his weight on one leg and slightly inclining his head, and looking at the princess cheerily, but without speaking. He was evidently not thinking of her at all. Anatole was not quick-witted or a ready talker, but on the other hand, he had that gift of composure which is so invaluable in society and a self-confidence that nothing could disturb. If a man lacking self-confidence is silent at a first introduction, and betrays a consciousness of the impropriety of such a silence, and attempts to escape from it, it makes a bad matter worse. But Anatole, swaying a little on one leg, had nothing to say, and gazed with an amused look at the princess's hair. It was evident that such ease of manner would enable him to preserve silence any length of time. His look seemed to say, if this silence is awkward for any one, then speak, but as for me, I have no desire to say anything. Moreover, Anatole had in his behavior toward women that manner which strongly piques curiosity, and excites fear, and even love in them, a sort of scornful consciousness of his own superiority. His look seemed to say to them, I know you, I know what is disturbing you. Ah, oh, how happy you would be if, Possibly he did not think any such thing when he met women, and there is considerable ground for such a supposition, because he thought very little, but this was what was expressed by his look and manner. The princess felt it, and apparently wishing to show him that she did not venture to do such a thing as engage his attention, she turned to his father. The conversation became general, and rather lively, thanks to the merry voice of the little princess, whose downy lip was constantly showing her white teeth. She met Prince Vasily with that peculiarly vivacious manner, which is often employed by people of merry, loquacious mood, and consists in the interchange between you and your acquaintance of the regular stock of witticisms of the day, and of pleasant and amusing reminiscences, which it is taken for granted are not understood by all people, but which really do not exist at all, any more than they did exist in the case of the little princess and Prince Vasily. Prince Vasily willingly adapted himself to this spirit, the little princess managed to include Anatole as well, though she scarcely knew him, 
and soon found herself sharing with him in recollections of events that in some cases had never happened at all. Mademoiselle Burine also took part in these general recollections, and even the Princess Maria had a sort of satisfaction in feeling herself drawn into this light gossip. "'Here, at least, we shall have the benefit of your company all to ourselves, dear Prince,' said the little princess, in French, of course, to Prince Vasily. "'It won't be as it used to be at our receptions at Annette's, where you always made your escape. You know, cette chère Annette.' "'Ah, but of course you won't oblige me to talk about politics, as Annette does.' "'But our tea-table?' "'Oh, yes.' "'Why were you never at Annette's?' asked the little princess to Anatole. "'Oh, but I know, I know,' said she with a sly expression. "'Your brother Ippolit told me all about your doings.' "'Oh,' she exclaimed, threatening him with her finger. "'And then again in Paris. I know all about your pranks.' "'And hasn't Ippolit told you?' asked Prince Vasily, addressing his son and seizing Princess Lisa by the arm, as though they were in danger of her running away, and he wished to prevent it while yet there was time. "'Hasn't he ever told you how he himself was dead in love with our dear princess here, and how she wouldn't have anything to say to him?' "'Oh, she is a pearl among women, princess,' said he, addressing the Princess Maria. Mademoiselle Burine, on her part, when she heard the word Paris, did not lose the opportunity of also adding her recollections to the general conversation. She allowed herself to inquire of Anatole if he had been long in Paris, and how that city pleased him. Anatole took evident pleasure in answering the Frenchwoman's questions, and with a smile talked with her about her native land. Seeing how pretty La Burine was, Anatole decided that, after all, it would not be so very stupid here at Louisia Guerri. Not at all bad-looking, he said to himself, as he looked at her, very far from it. I hope that when she marries me she will take this demoiselle de compagnie with her, la petite gentille. The old prince took his own time about dressing, and as he thought what course was best for him to take, he frowned. The coming of these guests annoyed him. What are Prince Vasily and his son to me? Prince Vasily is an empty swaggerer, and his son must be a fine specimen, he grumbled to himself. He was annoyed because the coming of these guests aroused in the depths of his soul an unsettled and constantly avoided question, a question in regard to which the old prince was always deceiving himself. The question was this, whether he could make up his mind to part with his daughter and let her marry. The old prince could never bring himself to ask the question directly, knowing beforehand that if he should answer it honestly, his honesty would come into open antagonism, not merely with his feelings, but with the whole order and system of his life. For Prince Nikolai Andreitch, life without his daughter, little as he outwardly seemed to appreciate her, was out of the question. And why should she get married, he asked himself, probably to be unhappy. Here is Liza. Certainly it would be hard to find a better husband than Andre, and yet is she contented with her lot? And who would take her from mere love? She is homely, awkward. They would marry her for her connections for her wealth. And can't girls live unmarried? They'd be much happier. Thus thought Prince Nikolai Andreevich as he performed his toilet in his cabinet, and still at the same time the ever-procrastinated question now demanded an immediate solution. Prince Vasily had brought his son, evidently with the intention of making a proposal, and therefore this very day, or the next, he should have to give a direct answer. His name, his position in the world, was excellent." "'Well, I've no objection,' said the prince to himself. 
but let him prove himself worthy of her. Well, we shall see. Yes, we shall see, he exclaimed aloud. Yes, we shall see how it is. And with his usual firm tread, he went into the drawing-room, took in all present with a sweeping glance, noticed even the change that the little princess had made in her dress, and La Burine's ribbon, and the Princess Maria's monstrous headdress, and her isolation in the general conversation, and not least, Burine and Anatole's exchange of smiles. She is dressed up like a fool, he thought, giving his daughter a wrathful glance. She has no sense of shame, and he, he does not care anything about making her acquaintance. He went straight to Prince Vasily. Well, how are you? How are you? Glad to see you. Friendship laughs at distance, exclaimed Prince Vasily, quoting the familiar proverb with ready wit, and with his usual self-confident familiarity. Here is my second son. Grant him your friendship, I beg of you. Prince Nikolai Andreyevich surveyed Anatole. A fine young fellow, fine young fellow, said he. Now come, give me a kiss. And he offered him his cheek. Anatole kissed the old man and looked at him curiously, but with perfect composure, expecting soon to hear one of those droll remarks of which his father had told him. Prince Nikolai Andreyevich sat down in his usual place at one end of the sofa, and drew up an armchair for Prince Vasily, pointed him to it, and began to ask him about the news in the political world. He listened with apparent attention to what Prince Vasily had to say, but he kept glancing at the Princess Maria. "'So that's what they write from Potsdam, is it?' said he, repeating Prince Vasily's last words, and then suddenly getting up he went over to his daughter. "'So this is how you dress before company, eh?' exclaimed here. "'Excellent. Admirable. You appear before folks with your hair done up in this new-fangled way, and I tell you, in the presence of these same folks, never again without my leave to rig yourself up in such a fashion.' "'It was my fault, mon père,' said the little princess, blushing and coming to her sister-in-law's rescue. "'You can do as you please,' said Prince Nikolai Andreyevich, making a low bow before his son's wife. "'But she has no right to disfigure herself.' She's ugly enough without that. And once more resumed his place, paying no further heed to his daughter, who was ready to weep. On the contrary, that way of dressing her hair is very becoming to the princess, said Prince Vasily. Well, Batyushka, my young prince, what is his name? said Prince Nikolai Andreyevich, turning to Anatole. Come here, let us have a little talk and get acquainted. Now the sport begins, thought Anatole and with a smile he took a seat by the old prince. "'Well now, my dear, you have been educated abroad, somewhat different from your father and me, who had the perished Yokchak to teach us our ABCs. "'Tell me, my dear, you serve in the horse guards, don't you?' asked the old prince, scrutinizing Anatole closely and keenly. "'No, I have been transferred to the line,' replied Anatole, scarcely able to keep from laughing. "'Ah, excellent thing!' so that you can serve the Tsar in your country. It's wartime. Such fine young men as you ought to be in the service. At the front, I suppose? No, Prince. Our regiment has gone, but I was detached. What was I detached for, Papa? asked Anatole, turning to his father with a laugh. Famous way of serving, I must confess. What am I detached for? <laughs> roared Prince Nikolai Andreyevich, and Anatole joined in still more vociferously. Suddenly Prince Nikolai Andreyevich began to scowl. "'Well, get you gone,' said he to Anatole. 
Anatole, with a smile, went and rejoined the ladies. "'And so you have had him educated abroad, eh, Prince Vasily?' asked the old prince of Kurigan. "'I did the best I could for him, and I must say that the schools there are far better than ours.' "'Well, everything is changed, all new-fangled notions. He's a fine young man, a fine lad. Now let's go into my room.' He took Prince Vasily by the arm and carried him off to his cabinet." Prince Vasily, finding himself alone with the old prince, immediately began to unfold to him his wishes and hopes. "'What kind of an idea have you?' exclaimed the old prince savagely. "'That I keep her tied and cannot part with her? What notions they have!' he exclaimed angrily. "'Tomorrow, as far as I am concerned, I merely tell you that I want to know my daughter's husband better. You know my principles, all above board.' Tomorrow I will ask her in your presence if she will have him. If she will, then let him stay. Let him stay. I will study him. The prince snorted. Or let him go. It's all the same to me, he cried, in the same piercing tone in which he had uttered his farewell when his son took his departure. I will tell you frankly, said Prince Vasily, in the tone of a cunning man who is convinced of the uselessness of trying to be shrewd towards such a sharp-eyed opponent. You see— your eyes read through men. Anatole is no genius, but he is an honorable, kind-hearted boy, and an excellent son. Very good. We shall see. As usually happens in the case of women, who have been long deprived of the society of men, all three of the women at Prince Andreevich's, now that they had Anatole in their midst, felt that hitherto life had not been life for them. The powers of thinking, feeling, loving, were instantly multiplied tenfold in each one of them, so that their existence, which had been till now, as it were, spent in darkness, was suddenly filled by a new light, full of rich significance. The Princess Maria no longer gave a thought to her looks, or the dressing of her hair. Her whole attention was absorbed by the handsome open face of the man who perhaps would be her husband. He seemed to her good, brave, resolute, manly, and noble. She was quite convinced of this. A thousand dreams of the family life which she should enjoy in the future persisted in rising in her mind. She tried to banish them and keep them out of her imagination. "'But was I too cool toward him?' queried the Princess Maria. "'I try to be reserved, because I feel in the depths of my soul that he is already too near to me. But of course he cannot know all that I think about him, and he may imagine that I do not like him.' and the young princess strove, and yet was unable to be amiable to her new guest. La pauvre fille, elle est diable molède. Devilishly ugly. Such was Anatole's uncomplimentary thought of her. Mademoiselle Burine, who Anatole's arrival had brought into a high state of excitement, allowed herself to have quite different thoughts. Of course, being a pretty young girl, without any stated position in society, without relatives and friends, and far from her native land, she had no intention of devoting her whole life to the service of Prince Nikolai Andreevich, reading books to him, and playing the part of companion to the Princess Maria. Mademoiselle Burine had been long waiting for the Russian prince, who should immediately have wit enough to appreciate her superiority to these homely, unbecomingly dressed, and awkward Russian princesses, should fall in love with her, and elope with her. Now at last the Russian prince had come." Mademoiselle Burine knew a story which her aunt had once told her, and which in imagination she liked to repeat to the end, with herself in the heroine's place. 
The story was about a young girl who had been seduced, and whose poor mother, sa pauvre mère, finding where she was, came and covered her with reproaches because she had gone to live with a man to whom she was not married. Mademoiselle Burine was often melted to tears by imagining herself telling him, her seducer, this story. And now this he, this genuine Russian prince, had made his appearance. He would elope with her. Then sa pauvre mère would appear, and he would marry her. Thus in Mademoiselle Burine's fertile brain the whole romance evolved itself, from the moment that she began to talk with him about Paris. Not that Mademoiselle Burine conceived of all the details, or what she was going to do did not once occur to her, but still all the materials were long ago ready in her, and now they merely grouped themselves around Anatole, whom she was anxious and determined to please as much as possible. The little princess, forgetting her situation instinctively, and like an old war-horse at the sound of the trumpet, made ready to flirt at headlong speed, without meaning anything by it, but with her usual naive and light-hearted spirit of fun. In spite of the fact that Anatole in the society of women generally affected the position of a man who considers it a bore to have them running after him, still he felt a consciousness of gratified vanity to see his power over these three women. Moreover, he began to feel for the pretty and enticing Burine a real animal passion, such as sometimes overcame him with extraordinary rapidity and impelled him to commit the coarsest and most audacious actions. After tea, they all went into the divan room, and the Princess Maria was invited to play on the harpsichord. Anatole leaned on his elbows, in front of her, near Mademoiselle Burine, and, with eyes full of mirth and gaiety, looked at the young princess, who with a painful and at the same time joyous emotion felt his gaze resting on her. Her favorite sonata bore her away into a most genuinely poetic world, and the consciousness of that glance endowed this world with even more poetry. In reality, however, Anatole, though he looked in her direction, was not thinking of her, but was occupied with the motion of Mademoiselle Burine's foot, which he was at this moment pressing with his under the piano. Mademoiselle Burine was also looking at the princess, but her beautiful eyes had an expression of frightened happiness and hope. "'How fond she is of me,' thought the Princess Maria. "'How happy I am now, and how happy I might be with such a friend and such a husband!' "'Husband! Can it be possible?' she asked herself, not daring to look at him, but, nevertheless, feeling his gaze fixed on her face. In the evening, when after supper they were about to separate for the night, Anatole kissed the young princess's hand. She herself knew not how she dared to do such a thing, but she looked straight into his handsome face as it approached her short-sighted eyes. Turning from the princess, he went and kissed Mademoiselle Burine's hand. This was contrary to etiquette but he did everything with such confidence and simplicity. Mademoiselle Burine flushed and glanced in dismay at the princess. Quelle délicatesse! How considerate of him, thought the princess. Can it be that Emile, so she called Mademoiselle Burine, thinks that I should be jealous of her and do not appreciate her affection and devotion to me? She went straight over to Mademoiselle Burine and gave her an affectionate kiss. Anatole was about to kiss the little princess's hand also. Non, non, non. When your father writes me that you are behaving beautifully, then I will let you kiss my hand. Not before. And, shaking her finger at him, she left the room with a smile. End of chapter 4